0: folk Singer dead after she was attacked by a pair of coyotes. What is the monkey doing? Tell me what's happening. <laughs> he hit your face off! We actually have a trainer in the water with one of our whales? If I show weakness, if I retreat, I may be hurt, I may be killed.
1: Baby Azaria
0: Chamberlain was taken by a dingo back in 1980. Welcome, 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 one and all guys, gals, and my non-binary pals. Welcome to 2023. Happy New Year, everybody. Or as I have been saying for the last few days, crappy poo because guess who has two thumbs and got food poisoning from some bad KFC a couple nights ago? You can't see it because it's a podcast, but the two thumbs belong to me, and they're pointing at my chest. It was me. I, uh, yeah, I ate a bad chicken zinger burger, and I guess I, uh, spent two days over a toilet bowl. But regardless, everybody, welcome to the new year. I hope you've had a great little break over Christmas and the new year's, uh, you know, period. Um, welcome back to Man It Is, the only true crime podcast on the internet where all the killers are real animals. I realize that it's a ballsy move to start, you know, your second season, the second year of the show uh, with talk of diarrhea and vomit and food poisoning. But, you know, that's who I am. And if you're going to give me gruff on who this guy is, why I order one of these days, buddy, straight to the poon vagina. This is a weird intro, but I don't think I have the ability to stop it. Oh, I can. I can't. I just click a button and do it again. Huh. Maybe I should. Hmm. Ah. Nah, welcome everybody. Uh, it is a new year. It is a new well, it's not a new podcast. It's the same podcast you've been listening to for uh, eighteen months, but it's it's back, and I'm, I dare say it, it's better than ever. We've got some really cool new stuff coming up for you. Some new segments, some new uh, yeah changes, I guess, to the show, uh, which we're going to be talking a little bit about later later on. But yeah, the theme of this year is you know we're back bigger, we're back better, and we're starting out with a really great story um episode 41 today, we are talking about death in Yellowstone. So Yellowstone National Park, as I'm sure many of you are aware, is one of the biggest national parks in uh, the United States. In fact, it's probably one of the biggest in the world. It's an uh, incredibly beautiful, unique place, uh, but despite its its beauty, it is also one of the most dangerous places in probably in the world, I would, I would dare to say. Um, our source for today is a fantastic book called death in Yellowstone accidents and foolhardiness in the first National Park the book is written by Lee H Whittlesley, uh, and it is a terrific book I was gifted this book years ago uh, by my partner and I only just sort of uh, cracked it open and really had a read in the in this little holiday break and what I found is intrigued me. There were some amazing stories in there about animal attacks. Um, the book is filled with, with dozens and dozens and dozens of stories of people losing their lives in uh, very interesting and unique ways. Uh, not all of them to do with animals. In fact, the majority of the stories in the book are about other things that had happened. Um, but there are quite a few interesting animal, uh, human conflicts that do arise and that are detailed in the book. And so we are going to talk about those today. Uh, but a little bit more of that later on, before I move on to, to the story I just want to say uh really quick thank you uh to our patreon patrons if you are noticing a a slight difference in the audio quality um a few reasons for that. Uh, one, I, I moved and I've found like a better place to record. And two, thanks to the generosity of a few very kind souls on the Patreon, I've been able to afford to create a little makeshift recording nook in my new house with, uh, you know, some acoustic boarding and foam panels and a nice little desk. Uh, it's fantastic. And it was all paid for by the, by the Patreon, uh, patrons. So it, like, that's the first sort of purchase that's ever been made, uh, off money that was earned through the show so uh, that's kind of like a little bit of a, a cool milestone I think and I just want to give a really big thank you to the people who contributed to that uh, on the Patreon and of course you can too and I'll, I'll plug the Patreon uh a little bit towards the end of the episode uh but yeah I just wanted to give a quick you know heartfelt thank you to those people as well as to everyone who supported the show in 2022 um f- you know I won't go too hard into it cuz the last couple episodes I did a big thank you to everybody uh but yeah I had a great time last year um, with the show this year, you know, I, I really am proud of what we created last year this year. I want to, you know, it's, it's, to infinity and beyond, I guess, you know, it's bigger and better. I'm really committed to improving the quality of the show, the quality of the research, um, you you know, the the length of the show as well, and the time and effort that I put into it. I I really want to commit to, uh, you know, creating a really cool product, a really cool podcast that we can all enjoy uh, and and that I can be well and truly proud of. Um, Not to say that the the first 40 episodes were not something I'm proud of, they absolutely were, Um, but I did find myself last year with a severe lack of time on my hands, uh, to, to do the episodes. Uh, and at least for the first part of this year, which has been lasting a day, um, as well as the end of last year, I've had some time to be able to sit down and really, um, you know, nut out the first 10 episodes of of 2023. Uh, And they are fascinating and they are full of uh, a lot, a lot of research. This episode alone probably took about two episodes to, you know, to to read, to research, to script, and then of course to record. So um, I would really appreciate it if you guys do enjoy this episode, if you give it the old uh, thumbs up, give it the old five stars, give it the old how do you do? Uh, It really does help me out especially when I'm going to be dedicating more and more of my time to this uh, so yeah that, that would be appreciated. So Yellowstone National Park what is that what are we talking about? Well as I mentioned in my brief little intro uh, it is the, the the first national park um, that was founded in uh, the United States it's also one of the largest uh, very beautiful place you might know Yellowstone uh, from the TV show Yellowstone um, you might just know it from just it generally being a really beautiful tourist attraction I know a lot of people who listen to the show are from the US. Uh, I'd be interested to know how many of you have been to Yellowstone, how many of you would like to. Uh, But it is is a beautiful place. Uh, But behind all that beauty are some, uh, I wouldn't call them secrets, but some, uh, I guess some dark patches of history. Uh, A lot of people have lost their lives in uh geysers uh falling off cliffs a lot of weird ways to die in that yellow yellowstone national park but one of the ways people have died is through contact with animals Um, we're going to talk about that uh now so what we're going to do is we're going to jump into our main story today which is entitled death in yellowstone child has died in a particularly horrible fashion in Yellowstone National Park. He went off the boardwalk at a geyser basin and fell into a boiling hot spring. Our hearts suffer with the parents. But we know there may be other deaths in the park this year from less rare instances such as bear maulings. Death is a frequent visitor in raw nature, and Yellowstone Park, despite the cabins and the roads, is raw nature. The park is the untamed, unfenced wildlife and the amoral energy of thermal wonders. It cannot be treated lightly when it erupts in death. We've seen other visitors in the park who left the paths and boardwalks. We've seen visitors in the park put their children on bears in order to take pictures. They were lucky. This park is not the Disneyland Rocky Mountain version, nor is it a zoo with moats and fences separating the wild and the domesticated. For all the trappings of men, it is wilderness, and the man who fails to accept it as such dies. Not more money for rangers to enforce the park rules would help, but until that time, we urge all visitors and urge all Montana and Wyoming residents to warn visitors against and again to obey signs in the park and to remember that Yellowstone Park is wild. The park is raw nature and it can kill. Billings Gazette, July 1st, 1970. America's first national park, Yellowstone National Park, was founded in 1872 and is mostly located in Wyoming. With millions of tourists each year, Yellowstone is still one of the nation's most visited national parks. Yellowstone has a length of approximately 3,500 miles and touches portions of Montana and Idaho. The largest concentration of geysers and hot springs on Earth are found in Yellowstone National Park, which is perched on top of a dormant volcano. Yellowstone National Park has over 50% of the world's hydrothermal features, giving the impression that the ground is on fire. Old Faithful, one of the most well-known natural marvels in the United States, is located in Yellowstone. Yellowstone National Park is home to hundreds of species of Native American wildlife, many of which can and have taken human life. However, there are two animals that cause the most destruction to human life that live within the park. Both are near-mythical figures in Native American folklore, and both are massive in size and power. I'm of course talking about bears and bison. We've talked about bears on this show in detail before, but this is the first time a major story has involved the bison, or the buffalo. So, today, with this story, we're going to start with the bison. Now, the book, Death in Yellowstone, posits that the American bison is a mythological figure to many Americans. Rather than viewing the buffalo as a real animal made of flesh and blood, people see it as a spiritual connection to the past, a symbol of a vanished history or a painting of a proud people. Many visitors to the park want to approach them to establish a link to their own frontier heritage. It's for these reasons that people seem to lose themselves around these animals, and forget or straight up ignore the obvious dangers that they present. As of 2013, there have only been two confirmed fatalities of, b- of bison in the park. Compare this to seven deaths from bears, and you could assume that bison are not the biggest threat to humans in the park. However, experts maintain that the potential for injuries and deaths from bison in the park is much greater than that it is for injuries and deaths from bears. There are around 4,000 bison that call Yellowstone National Park their home, compared to only 750 bears. As such, it is far more likely for a visitor to see and therefore approach a bison. Bison are massive animals that can weigh up to a thousand kilograms and they are unpredictable, often belligerent creatures. They can grow as much as three meters long and almost two meters tall. They have a maximum running speed of 35 kilometers per hour and are extraordinarily powerful. There is one report of a bison in 1890 destroying a stagecoach, and park rangers have witnessed bison repeatedly charging snowmobiles in the winter months. While not a death on Yellowstone Park grounds, the following story is detailed in Death in Yellowstone, and illustrates how even animal keepers can be tricked into thinking these animals are docile. On March 22nd, 1902, a 49-year-old Yellowstone poacher and animal keeper named Dick Rock, which, is, sorry, gotta say, great porn star name, Dick Rock was killed by one of his own bison near Henry's Lake just outside the park limits. He was attempting to show a friend of his how tame his bison had become, which also, now that I said it out, sounds kind of dirty. Several people had warned Dick that the bison would kill him, but he did not listen. On Saturday morning at 7am, when Dick was feeding the bison, it became enraged and charged at him, pinning him against the corral, its horns piercing his body. Dick's loud screams brought several people from a nearby ranch as well as his wife. What they saw mortified them. Repeatedly, the bison pitched Dick's body up into the air, and the bison gored with its horns every time he got to the ground. The bison ripped all the claws from Dick's body and left him with 29 horn holes. An onlooker named May Gardner remembers that when they got Dick out of there, quote, his eyelids twitched for a time or two and then he was gone. Buffalo Jones in the book Lord of the Beasts said of Dick Rock, a wild animal is the most dangerous of beasts. My old friend, Dick Rock, <laughs> he laughed at my advice and got killed by one of his three-year-old bulls. I told him they knew just well enough to kill him, and they did. The story of Dick Rock is a cautionary one, as of the two confirmed bison fatalities that occurred within the park's boundaries. Now, Even though only two people have died as a result of contact from Wild Buffalo, dozens of people have been injured. Park Bison injuries included at least 11 in 1983, six in 1984, 10 in 1985, four in 1986, two in 1987, two in 1988, none in 1989 and 1990, four in 91, two in 92, two in 93, and at least three in 1994. Since 1995, the park has improved its safety record greatly because between 1995 and 2012, human injuries from bison averaged only zero to five per year. Many visitors who do get attacked by bison often attempt to sue the park. However, the National Park Service only has a legal duty to warn of hidden or obvious dangers. A lawsuit brought by a woman who was injured in 1984 ended with the plaintiff losing the case. Another dangerous situation that could have led to injury arose in 1982, a bison had fallen through the ice on the Yellowstone River in winter. Now, Some well-meaning snowmobilers found it and stopped and they attempted to save the animal with ropes and pulleys. A park ranger approached them and insisted that they stopped. This maddened the visitors who contacted news broadcaster Phil Harvey, who lambasted the ranger and the park service on his show. As sad as it is, the National Park Service's philosophy is not to interfere with natural processes, and the bison had fallen through the ice naturally. Even though the bison was going to die, the ranger was right to stop the snowmobiles as no bison is going to react well to humans tying ropes around it and jerking it around, no matter how well-intentioned they are. In the spring of 1992, a 70-year-old man from Pittstown, New Jersey was tossed 15 feet into the air by a buffalo. His leg was ripped open by the animal's horn when he got too close to it. Marvin Leslie Schrader, 30 years old, of Spokane, Washington, well, he became the first bison fatality within the actual park boundaries on July 12, 1971. Schrader and his wife and three children spotted a solitary bull buffalo lying down in a meadow just east of Rush Lake that day. Schrader walked to within 20 feet of it to take his picture. The one-ton bison stood up and charged him. It tossed him into the air more than 12 feet. The animal's horns ripped open the man's upper right abdomen and pierced his liver. With a large hole in his side, Schrader attempted unsuccessfully to rise. He then managed to lean up on one elbow and lay on the ground groaning for a few minutes while his wife and child watched him die. The bison eventually moved on. Bonnie Schrader later admitted that they'd been way too close to the bison. In the family's possession was the park's red danger pamphlet that warned visitors of wild animals, including bison. There were rumours that the Schrader family had been throwing rocks at the bison in order to try and get it to stand up. Many Yellowstone employees heard this story, including a tour guide, but it turns out these rumours are false. In reality, it was a small group of teenagers that had been throwing rocks at the bison just before the Schrader family arrived. We got the bison is stand up, said a small girl who was in the group. So Schrader had not intentionally agitated the bull. Regardless, it was wrong of Marvin to approach the bull so closely. The second and final bison fatality occurred in 1983. A foreign visitor was gored to death on July 31st, 1983 in Hayden Valley because, according to newspaper articles from the time, he wanted to get his picture taken with the bison. Once again, the animal was a solitary bull. Elaine jean Jean-Jacques Dumont, 21 years old, from France, was having his picture taken about 6 feet away from the buffalo when it charged at him, tossing him 10 feet in the air. Hélène Dumont had his camera up and must have seen the charge through the viewfinder. He quickly turned left, attempting to dive out of the way, and the bison's horn caught him in the right kidney, ripping him open. A tour bus driver who had witnessed the attack remembered thinking, oh my god, this guy's dead. The driver had recently pulled up at a popular spot to let his passengers out to look at some wildlife. He gave them the usual warning message over the bus's PA system, and when he saw Jumon walking towards the bull, he added over the intercom, and don't do what that guy's doing. A group of Japanese visitors took Dumont to a parking area where a park ranger saw him. At this point, Dumont was conscious and even talking. The ranger, named Mike Paflom, stated that the Frenchman was partially eviscerated. Dumont kept stating, I'm dying! I am dying! That's my French accent, but it sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. oui, I am dying! Oh, no! Three doctors treated Dumont. He had sustained a torn colon, punctured stomach, severely damaged spleen and four broken ribs. Doctors believe that the spleen injury and resulting infection is probably what killed him in the end. Now, Dumont and Schrader are the only recorded fatalities from bison within the park, and Dick Rock was killed just outside the park's limits. However, injuries from attacks are abundant, and as long as people keep approaching them as if they're tame pets, they're unlikely to slow down. In 2022, dozens of people were gored by bison. First was a 25-year-old visitor from Ohio who was gored and tossed 10 feet in the air by a bison after getting within 10 feet of the animal on May 30th. The next incident took place on June 28, a week after Yellowstone reopened some portions to the public, when a 34-year-old tourist from Colorado was charged and gored near giant geyser. A day later, a 71-year-old visitor from Pennsylvania was gored by a bull bison near Storm Point at Yellowstone Lake when she inadvertently approached the animal. Yellowstone visitors should never approach bison, or any wild animal. All Yellowstone animals are wild, and potentially dangerous. We humans are only temporary visitors to Yellowstone, but the park is where the animals live. So, as the author of the book says, let's give them a break, and give ourselves a break in the process, especially when the subject animal is a myth that can kill us. And speaking of other mythical animals, let's talk about bears. So, while injuries to people by bears are very common in Yellowstone, deaths are actually quite rare. In 1891, two large hotels in the park needed a place to throw their garbage, and so they created a nearby garbage dump. This attracted bears and injuries started to occur. During the period between 1891 and 1973, 1 to 115 human injuries from bears occurred each year, mostly bitings or scratching. One of the earliest injuries occurred in June of 1888 when George R. Dow was chased by a grizzly bear. He attempted to climb up a tree to escape but was grabbed by the leg and badly mauled. Another incident occurred in 1902 when R. E. Southwick attempted to pat a bear cub. Needless to say, the mother bear wasn't thrilled by this and she tore him up. He was bitten a number of times and the flesh was torn from his breast. One rib is broken, and it is feared his right lung is seriously injured. That's my impression of an eighteen eighty eight doctor, by the way. Apparently, only Southwick's wife, hammering on the bear with a branch, saved his life. Now, in the book, Death to Yellowstone, there are dozens and dozens of incidents of bear attacks that are detailed. If you want to read about those, I suggest finding the the book and reading it. I'll link to it, I think, on Amazon uh, in the description of this. It's a great book. You should read it. I'm not going to have time to go through every single occurrence of a bear attack, because if we did, this episode would be four hours long and I have things to do. Uh, But there are a couple stories that I found entertaining, uh, if not a little bit funny um, in a morbid way. So this is one of the stories, and uh, it's written very funny in the, in the book. It's kind of um, well, it's almost like a script, and I am an actor, so uh, I will do some uh, some more voices for you. So here's uh, here's one story about a uh, a belligerent woman in the park and her puppy. Spoiler alert: this does not end well for the pup. Okay. <clears throat> May I release my dog from his leash? The woman asked. No, ma'am, said the ranger. Uh, Differently, it's strictly against the rules. Oh, there seems to be rules against everything anyone wants to do in the park," she said with a petulant frown. Now, what possible reason can there be for not allowing my dog a little freedom? Poor Von has been tied up all day. The dog's name is Von. If you didn't hear. The ranger's strict training kept him from saying what he wanted to, but his face reddened at her tone. He began, oh, lady, there are bears around here that might... She did not give him a chance to finish the sentence. Oh, if that's all that worries you, Vaughn won't hurt the bears. She reached for the snap of the dog's collar and unleashed him before she started the ranger... Before the startled ranger could utter another word of protest. The dog... <laughs> The dog bolted straight for an old black bear mother sitting at the edge of the forest some 50 yards away, her two cubs above her in the tree, lying on two large limbs. The old bear sat there calmly, her front legs braced in front of her, not seeming to notice the dog that had dashed madly towards her. She even inclined her head slightly the other way as if to show how just a little of a shit this canine creature interested her. I'm embellishing here a little bit. The pup charged right up to the bear, fully expecting her to run. The bear sat motionless, and he, sh- and he slowed for a quick turn in order to keep from running into her. At exactly that instant, the old bear went into action. Quicker than a cat, she struck at him with one, of her, <laughs> with one blow from her paw, sent him spinning with a broken back. She then <laughs> called her cubs down and hurried into the woods. It happened so quickly that not one of the spectators moved for a few seconds. Then everyone rushed to the side of the dying dog, the owner protesting tears, tearfully. Why didn't you tell me? I can't understand why such terrible beasts are allowed <laughs> to run at large. Why are they put where they can't do any harm? So that's the story of an innocent dog getting its back broken. Um, like I said, hilarious, right? Um, no, obviously sad for the dog, but that woman sucks, and uh, yeah, that's very sad. Another story, another um, dumb lady, and I've got to think of a new uh, new voice for this one. Um, okay, so this is another story about a lady who uh, liked to feed candy to a bear, which, hey, Darwin Award uh, nominee right there. Okay, <clears throat> lady, you mustn't do that. You've been told time and time again not to feed that bear oh he won't hurt me replied the lady he's so cute standing there he's the gentlest bear in the park yes i know asserted the ranger wearily but even tame bears hurt people quite often they don't mean to it's always an accident but the injury is just as bad it's against the rules why can't the regulate why can't you just obey the regulations? Oh, fuck the regulations! <laughs> she actually said, bother- oh, oh, bother the regulations, said the lady scornfully. You rangers, I've just gone back into the la. You rangers are always harping on regulations. This bear is hungry. Look here, I'll show you how eager he is to even get a small morsel of bread. The ranger shook his head. I really wish you would not feed that bear, he said and rode away <laughs> without waiting for the lady to demonstrate how hungry the pet bear was. This ranger is awesome. He just fucked off. He just he just dipped on out. All right. Life was probably dull for this woman staying up all day in a camp with nothing much to do but admire the scenery. When a car drove up a few minutes after the ranger had left, she called to the people Let me show you my bear's trick. He's just too cute for anything. They gathered around and the woman held a piece of candy at a full arm's length above her head. The bear, a great black fellow, that's a weird way to write it, sure, rose on his hind feet and easily reached the candy. The woman backed away a few steps and offered another piece. The bear followed, walking on his hind legs and took the candy as before. It was fun. To make such a big fellow walk around and eat candy out of her hand, everybody laughed and applauded. "'Well, such quaint creatures, these bears!' exclaimed one of the ladies. Oh, it's a lady. She can have that voice, it's fine. exclaimed one of the ladies from the automobile party. "'So tame and ever gentle!' (laughs) They watched until the lady tired of the game. She stood directly in front of the bear, facing him but offering no more candy." "'Go away now,' she ordered. "'No more candor for you today!' She did not move, and the bear dropped down on all fours. As he dropped down, he put out his his front feet towards her, much as he would to a tree or any other convenient object to ease his descent." The woman screamed as his paws touched her shoulders. His claws, sharp as knives seeking support, ripped through her clothing and skin. They tore deep cuts a foot long across her breasts and blood spurted from them. The woman fainted almost instantly. The bear backed away and disappeared in the pandemonium that ensued. One of the men ordered an ambulance by telephone. He then drove post haste to a ranger station. There the apprehensive ranger heard the old familiar tale. Hey, something terrible just happened. A bear just tore the titties off a woman. He kill the bear. He must be killed. He is a dangerous beast. Kill that wicked bear. Yeah, so the story went, told by very people who had, but a few minutes ago, thought the bear was cute. So, those are just a couple of fun little stories. That there was one about a dog dying and one about a woman late losing her breasts. Um yeah. So as stated before, there have only been seven confirmed fatalities from bear attacks in Yellowstone National Park since its inception. The book notes a few stories that may have happened, but these stories lack credible sources and information to back them up. So today I'm just gonna cover the seven that did definitely occur. If you wanna read about the other stories, definitely go and read the book. Uh, We're gonna start with the first confirmed death that ever happened from a a bear in Yellowstone National Park. His name was Frank Welch. So, the first reported human mortality from a bear happened in Yellowstone in 1916. On September 8th, 1916, a grizzly bear, dubbed Old Two Toes, killed Frank Welch, who was 61 years old, a government teamster. He was delivering hay and oats to a road camp at Sylvan Pasture. Welch and two other labourers were camping at Ten Mile Spring at Turbid Lake at the time of the event. Welch was sleeping beneath the cart with another one of the labourers, and one of the other labourers was on top of them. Not on top of them, on top of the the cart, you get me. Now, the bear, which had previously caused at least two injuries at a fishing bridge, arrived at Welch's camp at approximately 1am. The bear woke up Mr Delvin, who was sleeping next to Welch under the wagon. Delvin shouted, tossed some bedding at the bear, and then watched the bear seize Welch as he climbed on top of the wagon. The other two men tossed lunchboxes at the bear, which then let Welch go. Welch then attempted to jump on top of the wagon, but the bear charged him and dragged him down. The two men were successful in scaring the bear away, but when Welch attempted to climb back aboard the wagon it seized him for the third and final time. It was presumable that during this last attack that the bear damaged Mr Welch so badly around the left shoulder, as well as on his side and abdomen. Welch's left side had two ribs cracked and muscles ripped away. His left arm had been ripped and horribly mutilated at the shoulder. He had two or three deep slashes across his right leg, and the bear's claws had perforated the lung from behind. The bear had reportedly stripped the flesh off one of Welch's arms, chewed through one of his lungs, and partially disemboweled him, according to reports of the tale. Now, the injured Mr. Welch was eventually transferred to Fort Yellowstone, where he unfortunately died at 8.10pm on September 11th. September 11th. Coincidence? Later, the bear returned to munch on the hay surrounding Welch's wagon. Fred Mews and his road camp crew had set up a bear trap. They, this is good, they piled debris, or rubbish, in front of an upturned barrel with a stick of dynamite in its opening. The dynamite was then fused to an electric battery, and when the bear started eating the young, the the teamsters blew him up, breaking every bone in his body. That's a quote, that's a direct quote from one of them. Frank Welch, oh, this is a wild part of the story, and I'm actually very concerned at the people from like the 18 from the 1910s Frank Welch was apparently sleeping on a slab of bacon at the time of the occurrence according to Horace Albright who was one of the creators of the new national park service in 1916 now the author says that such a declaration delivered 46 years after the occurrence would normally not be trustworthy According, though, to a third newspaper version, one of the other men tried to divert the bear by tossing bits of bacon at it, and the bear briefly stopped attacking to eat the bacon. So, bacon was present. Now, apparently, Welch slept with bacon under his pillow every night, which explains the bear's approach. Uh, The man was most likely uh, provoked when the bear touched him, and then the bear got scared, and so it appears that the bacon combined with Welch's resistance is what killed him. Today, a lone wooden headstone in Mammoth Soldiers Cemetery marks Welch's burial. It's the only markup that's made of wood in that cemetery, and it's very badly eroded and should be rebuilt so that we do not lose significant this significant grave site accidentally, says the author. Now the second human fatality in the park occurred in August 23, 1942. Martha Hansen, 45 years old, and four other people were staying in a cabin named Cabin 381 of the Old Faithful Cabin Camp on the night of August 22nd. Hansen, who was a nurse from Twin Falls, Idaho, left the cabin at 1.45am on her way to the woman's restroom. A huge brown or grey bear confronted her as she rounded the corner of the cabin. When the woman attempted to turn and escape, the bear seized her and dragged her several steps, causing a severe neck and head injuries. Hansen suffered a six deep inch incision from the top of her head to the base of her neck, another wound stretching from her nose to her right cheek, three more facial, facial lacerations and a serious bite behind her left ear. The majority of her neck muscles had been ripped loose. Hanson's screams drew her roommate Emily Heed to—I think that's how pronounced—Heed to the scene, uh, but she quickly left when the bear turned on her. Hearing the screams, many other tourists succeeded in scaring the bear away by hurling sticks of wood at it. An ambulance came a few hours later to bring Hanson to Mammoth Hospital, but she had lost a lot of blood and died on August 27th. Travelling with Hansen was F.E. Milner, and F.E. Milner stated that the bear involved was a big brown that had been feeding out of garbage cans near the cabin during the day. The cause of the bear attack on Martha Hansen was never determined, however, it might be claimed that this episode falls under the heading of a sudden encounter, also known as a surprised bear. A surprise grizzly bear is a deadly animal, which is why backpackers and trekkers in Yellowstone are advised to make noise, and like virtually all of the bears implicated in human deaths in Yellowstone, this bear was acclimated to human meals. Two years later, US President Franklin D. Roosevelt approved legislation providing $1,894.95 in compensation to Christine Hansen, Martha's mother. A prior legislative measure had provided money to a Yellowstone Park tourist for a bear injury, that of Margaret Constable, who got $10,000 for bear injuries in 1929. In addition, the park settled for a $2,000 tort suit for a bear bite in 1958. Payment payment of cash through these compensation bills may have been a poor precedent setting for the government as a paper trail was formed without the need for fact-finding litigation. Getting the ear of a congressman was the only way an an aggrieved party could gain compensation until Congress created the Federal Tort Claims Acts in 1946, because the federal government enjoyed immunity from such actions previous to that time. Uh, Now, the author goes into a lot of detail uh, soon about the danger of these legal cases people suing over animal bites and you know not taking responsibility for themselves and courts uh essentially um you know not knowing all the details and making these uh legislative changes that really can affect the park uh and I'm not going to go into a lot of that um if you again if you want to read that you can go and read the book um but the next fatality had a huge impact um in terms of like legal cases um <clears throat> so uh however Following the park's third human tragedy involving a bear, the Harry Walker case, this established compensation method proved ineffective for private claimants. Instead, the subsequent litigation was lengthy, complicated, and costly. Harry Eugene Walker, 25 of Anniston, Alabama, and his friend Philip Bradbury, nicknamed Crow, hitchhiked into Yellowstone National Park from the North Gate on Friday, June 23, 1972. Vicki Schlitt, a Old Faithful Inn chambermaid gave them a ride. They did not get the normal warning material handed out to arriving guests because they were hitchhiking. Schlitt, on the other hand, stated afterwards in an investigation that she had warned the men of bears and advised them to go to the ranger station. When Walker and Bradbury arrived at Old Faithful, they did something very stupid. They strolled across the thermal region boardwalks and set up an illegal tent on a forested slope above Grand Geyser. Madison Junction, 16 miles distant, was the nearest authorised campsite. Despite Schlitz's cautions, they went forward with it. Walker and Bradbury were also informed by an Old Faithful acquaintance that they were camping illegally, but they remained there on Friday night and all day Saturday. On Saturday night, June 24th, the two men drank at Old Faithful Inn before returning to their tent. At the camp, it was early Sunday morning. They were startled to find a grizzly bear digging through the food they had left spread all around their unauthorized campground. The food was the first draw, and the sudden meeting with the two men evidently is what scared the bear, prompting it to defend its, poo- its food supply. Food supply, nice. When Bradby noticed the bear charging, barely five feet away, he dived to his left and tumbled down an embankment. Walker shone his spotlight at the bear, and at the same at the same moment. While Bradbury raced screaming across the thermal region, it charged Walker, pulling him away. Now, the author notes, in retrospect, Bradbury is very fortunate to have not fallen in a hot spring and drowned or burned to death in the midst of his panic. Walker screamed, help me, crow, help me. And then there was stillness. Bradbury collapsed on the floor of the Old Faithful Inn, yelling, bear, bear, a bear has my body. Walker's corpse was discovered at 5am by rangers. The bear had eaten about a quarter of it. Walker died of asphyxiation as a result of extensive tracheal injury. Furthermore, his entire pelvic area was gone. A grizzly bear was later captured, killed, and studied there. Human hairs were discovered on his claws and in its digestive tract. Walker was recognized as the owner of these items. The bear was a 20-something-year-old sow, weighing 232 pounds, and he had a history of rubbish-eating. Some onlookers suspected that the, er- that the elderly sow's injuries to her foot pads and teeth had something to do with the attack. Walker's parents filed a lawsuit against the National Park Service and Federal Dist- District Court in California, arguing that he had not been sufficiently informed of the hazard and was awarded $87,417.67 in damages. The National Park Service filed an appeal and the verdict was overturned. The family attempted to reclaim the funds through legislative action, uh, as did the Hansons previously, but they were unsuccessful. The walker event was the final nail in the coffin for allowing bears to feed along Yellowstone's roadways. The park's final open pit rubbish dumping was closed in 1970 at Trout Creek, and now the National Park Service increased the transportation they had began in order to wean all roadside beggar bears off the human food diets. When human goods are included, normally reclusive bears sometimes outgrow their fear of men. The NPS realised this at... realized that a more natural bear is a less dangerous bear. The twin assaults in Glacier National Park in 1967, as recorded in the book Night of the Grizzlies, had already established that fact in the minds of park management and now Yellowstone had its own evidence. In 1984, the park's fourth human fatality with a bear occurred. It was a young woman from Switzerland this time. Ranger Gary Youngblood was on duty at Canyon Ranger Station on July 29, 1984, when a female hiker entered the office. She was approximately five, uh, 5 feet 5 inches tall and weighed about 120 pounds with black shoulder-length hair. Youngblood gave the lady a backpacking permit for the night of July 10th at Site 5B1, north of Fern Lake. He warned her against trekking alone in Yellowstone territory, as well as telling her about the bears in the area. Brigitta Claudia Friedenhagen, 25, of Basel, Switzerland, seemed clever and spoke near-perfect English according to Youngblood. 42 District Ranger John Lounsbury, who was seated in the adjacent office, recalls Youngblood providing her with valuable bear information. Brigitte's brother Andreas Friedenhagen reported to Lake Area Area Ranger Mark Marshall on July 31st at 6pm that his sister had failed to meet him and his wife at the Pelican Trailhead as planned. A search began with two people trekking through Pelican Valley and Ranger Marshall began a horseback sweep of the area the next morning. Marshall arrived at Brigitte's tent about 10.30am. Something was there that frightened his horse. The horse would only allow him to come within 20 feet of the tent. He saw immediately that the tent flap had rip marks at the door and discovered an undisturbed sleeping pad, Parker, and other stuff inside. "'As I approached the tent,' Marshall wrote, "'I observed fragments of hair and scalp, "'as well as a few small chunks of muscle, bone, and tissue. "'There was a sleeping bag nearby.' He radioed for help before continuing his hunt for Brigata. He didn't find her, but what he did discover was her food storage 30 yards away. A bear had torn it down, and the food had been consumed, in part. Ranger Dave Spiritis and Tim Blank from the Lake Ranger Station were helicoptered to the spot at 12.07pm and began a quick investigation of the area. The Rangers were disheartened when they discovered a piece of Brigata's lip near the sleeping bag. They looked for clues in the region between the route and the lake, because recent thunder showers had washed away any evidence. The rangers swept north for approximately a quarter mile. They discovered a bloodied item of clothing around 12:57 pm. A trail of bloody clothes and human tissue led them from there to discover Brigitta Fregenharder’s body, 258 feet from her tent. The bear had devoured a large portion of it. The rangers resumed their inquiries shaken by their discoveries. The blood on the tent and the puncture in the woman's sleeping bag suggested that the bear had torn the tent and pulled her out while she slept, either by the left side of her neck or by the top of her head. There was no trace of a struggle, her hiking clothes were neatly folded inside the tent and everything else was undisturbed. She either slipped out or was dragged out from her sleeping bag six feet outside. Rangers discovered a rectangle of discolored grass about 20 feet northwest of the tent where significant blood and tissue had been dropped, and this was determined to be the location where Friedenhagen died. Because she was struck at the neck and faced first, Rangers concluded that she died swiftly, perhaps without even waking up. The bear had climbed 12 feet up a tree to reach the woman's food cache, exactly the same manner in which she had placed it. Both of her climbing marks and the bear's claw prints were visible. The majority of the food stockpile had been consumed. The tree climbing marks and other evidence pointed to a light-colored sub-adult male grizzly. The rangers and autopsy personnel tried to piece together what had occurred. Friedenhagen had been gone Sorry, Fridenhagen had gone 8.5 miles, camped many miles short of her designated campsite, heated water for tea, and dined on a pre-cooked or cold meal. She had hung her food properly, organized in her clothing and other belongings, climbed into her sleeping bag with her feet facing east and her head towards the lake, and was obviously asleep when the assault happened sometime after 10.30pm on July 29th. The bear was never found nor recognized. It likely fled the scene within 12 hours since the body's, the woman's body was not semi-buried as feeding grizzlies sometimes do and there was no scat around the body. The rangers discovered uh, feces containing human bones many kilometers north and east of the location and concluded that the bear had returned to feast on July 31st. Rain had ruined most of the evidence. In fact, it was most likely raining at the time of the attack or immediately thereafter. Now, In the end, no one knew for certain what the cause of this incident was. The victim had not been menstruating at the time. The tent did include two thirds of a 100 gram chocolate bar wrapped in a pack, lip salve, micro-ring tablets, and a butane cigarette lighter were also among other potentially stinky objects in the tent. If the bear was drawn to these goods, it may have felt safe because Friedenhagen was hiking alone, which is frowned upon in Yellowstone territory and was perhaps her worst error. Even though significant thunder and lightning had been reported in the region for several days prior, no one knew what caused the onslaught. The woman's hanging of her food, possession of four bear warning leaflets supplied to her by Ranger Youngblood, bear bells in her tent, and signing at a trail register where three bear warning signs were posted, all proved to her knowledge of care and of sorry knowledge and care for bear precautions. In reality, when searching through Brigitte's possession on August 2nd, her brother and sister discovered a notebook in which Brigitte had written a diary-style message entry at the time at the campsite. The entry mentioned that she had taken all possible measures. William J. Teskinski, like Frittenhagen, was alone when a Yellowstone Park grizzly slaughtered him on or about October 4th, 1986. Tosinski, a 38-year-old auto mechanic from the Great Falls, Montana, was an ardent wildlife photographer as well as an accomplished woodsman and hunter. Chief Ranger Dan Shorley of Yellowstone National Park had described him as being cocky, self-assured, and used to obtaining what he wanted. He had been described as being able to keep up with most people in his outdoor activities. In fact, he typically travelled alone since he believed most people couldn't keep up. His attitude towards hiking alone proved to be his undoing. Tuszynski had some success in selling his nature photography, but he hadn't yet photographed a bear, and he was desperate to do so. On or around October 4th, Tuszynski became aware of a grizzly bear, bear 59 in park terminology, frequenting the Otter Creek region near the Yellowstone River. Tuszynski began stalking the bear alone, leaving his car in a pullout on the main road and carrying his camera and tripod. And We'll never know how or when he approached the sow Grizzly, however, his dying moments must have been terrifying as he most certainly battled, at least for a short amount of time. Bear 59 was a semi-habituated bear, meaning it had some interaction with humans and human foods, but she'd never approached a human aggressively before. She had two cubs when the park transferred her to Cub Creek earlier that season, but they were gone by October. She was also extremely hyperphagic, anxious to gain weight before the winter. Tosinski it appears, stepped the line between being a nuisance photographer and being a possible threat or food source. Perhaps it was a su- surprise bear or an unusual case of predation. We just don't know. The park began checking on Tosinski after his blue automobile had been parked at Otter Creek Pullout for many days. Ranger Alice Seebecker, armed with a license plate, called Tysynski's Great Falls residence and discovered that he had skipped work. Ranger Tom Oliff explored the area on horseback on October 6th, but discovered nothing. After speaking with bear expert Steve French, Ranger Jeff Henry determined that Bear 59 had been in the region at least since October 4th. Indeed, Jeff had, been seen, uh, Jeff had seen her on October 1st at Lee Hardy's Rapids. Now, as a result, on October 7th, District Ranger John Lounsbury and Ranger Mona Devine, who were subsequently joined by Jeff Henry, Tom Olaf, Dick Devine, and Joe Fowler, launched a serious search along Otter Creek. Mona Devine and John Lounsbury noticed Bear Fifty Seven, uh, 59 eating something from the top of a small hill. Henry and Fowler followed them into the old Otter Creek campsite. Lounsbury recalls being on the ridge overlooking what we now call Tisinski Meadow with his binoculars. He immediately saw Bear 59 with a human limb in her jaws and a tennis shoe on it in the enhanced image. He recognized at this time that they had most likely discovered Tisinski. Jeff Henry spotted the legs on the ground via his rifle sight and realized the bear was feasting on Tisinski. Divine noticed it as well and Lounsbury had previously noticed it. Because a grizzly was eating in the vicinity, the rangers were terrified. Are you in a position to eliminate that bear? Said bear specialist Gary Brown over their radios. Yes, we are, Lansbury said. Brown issued the order and Ranger Fowler shot the bear two times. The rangers walked in the area still armed with shotguns and rifles. Cautiously, Jeff Henry recalls, recalls a classic carrass feeding scenario with coyotes, ravens, and magpies all waiting on the outskirts for their turns. One of those ravens had croaked earlier, jolting John Lounsbury out of his daydream and forcing him to refocus on his surroundings. The gang entered a tiny field about a quarter of a mile from the, mi- from the main road and discovered Tuszynski's remains. And remains is what they were. Tysinski's legs and pelvic regions were all that remained on the ground. His entire upper body was gone. Jeff recalls thinking it seemed as if someone had chainsawed him in half at the belt. Tysinski's camera and tripod were still lying out. The enormous amount of blood recovered later around the collars of Tuszynski's jacket and shirt indicated that the bear had gone from his neck from the start. Tuszynski's entire neck was gone, which is most likely why the cause of his death which was most likely the cause of his death and was allegedly inflicted as he escaped. Bear 59 probably didn't take too long to rip him up and bury portions of him nearby for later feasting. Tesinski's skull was recovered in a burial mound. Now, the camera footage had no bear image. Jeff Henry speculated from uh, his knowledge that Bear 59 was wearing a radio collar that would have stopped Teskinski from attempting a turn headshot with a radio collar hidden. Furthermore, the tripod was angled down, as if the camera was pointing at somewhere between 12 to 15 feet away. Tostinsky's camera also featured a small lens rather than a long lens. The final image on his film roll had been termed an unrecognizable black blob, probably an out-of-focus close-up of the earth. Whatever he was focusing on, Henry, a seasoned photographer says, it was not quite clear. What the Rangers discovered entwined on a sagebrush plant just above Tuskinski's tripod was equally intriguing. It was a tube-shaped rubber elk bugle. Rangers discovered blood on its cord as well as blood on the sagebrush from where it had been grabbed. Kerry Gunther, a bear expert, believes William Tostinsky may have sounded the elk bugle to persuade the bear to lift its head from foraging, causing the animal to rush. Back in 1986, it was not widely known, as it is today, that elk bugles can lead to bears, grizzly or black bears, to a predatory mode. Gunther adds, thus it is very possible that the elk cry placed the bear in a predatory mindset. A park board inquiry ruled that tosinski was killed because he was attempting to photograph a grizzly bear at close range, and that the animal located near his remains was likely the one that killed him. tosinski most likely turned around and raced towards the road, but the bear grabbed him from the neck from behind and killed him. The bear then dragged Tuszynski back across the camera tripod, the bear's body, or Tosinski’s body, bending one of the legs of the tripod, leaving a considerable quantity of blood in the drag path. To Tuszynski's last resting spot, according to Jeff, the bear, had complete, the bear had completed his task as one of nature's finest feeding machines. Following the death of William Tosinski in 1986, there were no further human fatalities from bears in Yellowstone National Park for the next 26 years, but individual injuries happened on occasion. Then, in 2011, two tourists to the area were killed by grizzlies in separate incidents. Never previously in the park had two documented bear-related human deaths occurred in a single season. On July 5th, 2011, Brian and Marilyn Matayoshi of Torrance, California, entered the park through the south entrance, spent the first day viewing Old Faithful, then returned to Grant Village to camp. It was their fourth visit to Yellowstone, but they'd still never seen a bear before. On July 6th, they travelled to Canyon for hiking, with Brian insisting on trekking on an unpaved park path. They parked at the Wapiti Trailhead near Chittin Bridge, Chittenden Bridge and started hiking at 9.30am. The temperature was in the mid-70s and the sky was largely clear. Brian, 57 years old, and Marilyn, went past the NPS signboard, which stated, Danger, you are entering bear country, and included directions on what to do if they met a bear. A warning on the same huge board said, Warning, July 3rd, 2011, bear frequenting area, there is no assurance of your safety when hiking or camping in bear territory. Brian and Marilyn did not have bear spray. Because the Howard Eaton Trail to the south was closed due to, an active, due to an active wolf den, they picked the Clear Lake Trail and went east to the lake. They then returned to the Clear Lake-slash-Wapiti Lake Trail junction and continued on the Wapiti Lake Trail south and east. Around 10am near Wapiti, uh, they came across a photographer who pointed out a grizzly sow and two of her bear cubs feeding in a meadow to the south. He gave them his binoculars to look at the bears but they appeared far away, like boulders in the field, according to Marilyn. They stood there for a few minutes, observing the bears, taking some photos, before Brian and Marilyn continued on their journey. They arrived at a body of water that she didn't recognize and turned around at 1040 AM. They saw no other hikers, as is usual in Yellowstone. Only 1.4 miles from the Wapiti Trailhead and in an open area, they witnessed three bears 100 yards distant, It was a little patchwork of meadows and dry thermal zones crisscrossed and surrounded by tree fringes. Marilyn believed that Brian noticed the sow first, but she couldn't recall if he saw the cubs. They immediately turned around and began walking east into the forest, frequently checking back to see if the bears were there. When Marilyn noticed the sow's head pop up dangerously close to them, she cautioned Brian. When the bear charged at them, Brian cried, "'Run!' Marilyn subsequently told rangers that they yelled and shouted at this moment. She heard Brian call out as they were sprinting into a tree corridor between two tiny pastures. She turned in time to witness the bear attack him as he was standing, tugging him and knocking him down. Bear cubs were growling behind their mother, but she didn't see any more. Marilyn found her way down to several downed trees with projecting branches that provided some shelter. She had no idea how she ended up on the ground. As she struggled to get her bearings, she noticed the bear at Brian's body, staring at her. She knelt again, covering her head or neck with her arms and hands. The bear swiftly approached her, and she felt the terror of it tugging on her backpack. It pulled her off the ground with her backpack before dropping her. It was gone in an instant. The incident happened between 10.45 and 10.51am, lasted less than a minute and the two people ran more than 173 yards from where they initially noticed the bears. Marilyn staggered up to her husband, noticed that he was badly bleeding and considered using a jacket as a tourniquet on his leg. She heard a long sigh escape from Brian and she subsequently told police that she knew at this moment her husband was dead. She somehow found the presence of mind to drape two dark coloured coats over him. It had occurred to her that the bear may still be close, so she started shouting for assistance. Other hikers in the area reported here in the attack, four British hikers heard the bear roar, and male and female voices yelling and screaming to the west of where Brian and Marilyn were last seen. To their east, the photographer they had met earlier, who was now conversing with another father and two sons, heard a roar, followed by a man yelling quickly, and then a lady crying. The roar rage and scream lasted for about 5-10 seconds, according to the photographer. Fearing for his two boys and hoping to use them to notify the rangers, the father handed them bear spray and sent them west towards the trailhead. He chose to stay with the photographer since he was a trauma surgeon. When the two lads got a mobile service while trekking, they contacted 911 and the communications center of the park received the call at about 10.51am. The boys also encountered a huge trekking party and informed them of the presence of bears in the area. That party proceeded east to the father and photographer, who verified an event of some sort. A bigger gathering of people moved towards the source of the sounds. Several members of the gathering screamed, asking if anyone needed assistance, and Marilyn responded, help, my husband is dead. At 11:15 a.m., the father contacted 911 after obtaining a mobile signal. Marilyn also attempted to call 911 a few minutes later at 11:09 a.m. and several times after that, but it had been unsuccessful. Officials at Mammoth had warned the father that aid would be shortly there and that he should not enter the site ahead of them, but rather wait for the rangers who were already trekking close. Meanwhile, Marilyn had already started heading west. Rangers first attributed Brian's death to penetrating and blunt force wounds caused by grizzly bear mauling. Later, detectives revealed that Brian, Matayoshi had a femoral artery bite puncture, a large ovulation of his forehead extending into his scalp, and perhaps a deadly blunt force injury to the chest or abdomen, and several biting and clawing injuries. There was no autopsy, but a doctor informed one investigator that in one or two minutes, the person might bleed out internally from the femoral artery, the spleen, or the liver, or both. The blunt impact of the bear hitting Matayoshi and knocking him down to the ground may have been enough force for a fatal crushing injury to the chest or abdomen, he added. The park's second human fatality in a single summer, and the final one on record, occurred on August 25th, 2011, and it left Yellowstone officials, visitors, and supporters aghast and dispirited. The usual media scaremongering occurred with large headlines that made environmentalists fear for both the park and the bears. One of them read, Another hiker found dead in Yellowstone after bear mauling, one month after park officials refused to hunt grizzly that killed a California man. John Lawrence Wallace, 59 years old, of Chassel, Michigan, had been warned about the dangers presented by grizzly bears in Yellowstone, but told an official who was giving him the warnings at a campground that he was a grizzly expert who did not need the safety lecture. Wallace was a trained librarian who had spent 18 years working at Portage Lake District Library, Houghton, in Michigan, and he was also the building's superintendent there. Friends called him a kind and gentle individual who loved books and being outdoors. A family member stated that he had left a voicemail for them earlier, saying that being in Yellowstone was like being in heaven. John Wallace arrived alone in Yellowstone on August 24, 2011, and camped at the Canyon Village Campground, where he received standard bear warnings from a campground official and made the statement noted earlier. The next morning, he parked his green Jeep at the trailhead in Hayden Valley uh, near Autumn Creek and began hiking on the Mary Mountain Trail. A sign at the trailhead warned hikers that they were entering bear country, encouraged to carry bear spray, and discouraged hiking alone. Wallace carried no bear spray and he was hiking alone. He proceeded southwesterly through the open meadows of grass and sagebrush with only patches of timber for about six miles. Because Hayden Valley is an area that is historically known for high numbers of grizzly bears, only day hiking is permitted there with no overnight camping allowed. Wallace passed by an active bison carcass at Violet Creek, only 1.5 miles from the later incident site. If he had seen it, it should have made him very nervous. Three days earlier, a hiker there had seen nine different grizzly bears feeding on it, but did not report this until after the Wallace incident. Rangers found a second carcass only 361 yards from the incident site, along with 16 bear daybeds around it. John Wallace stopped to eat an energy bar, take a drink of water, or get something out of his backpack that was later not found in his back probably sitting on a log in his last moments he must have instinctively raised one or both of his hands because there were bite marks on his right hand large areas of bruising on his left arm and scratches lacerations and punctures on his right forearm all with self defense all common with self defense when facing a bear but these would have occurred after the bear had already hit him because ominously wounds to his neck and back suggested that the bear came from behind it probably took very little time for wallace to die from blood loss The bear then fed upon him and cached his body in a partial burial. The following morning, another park visitor, a retired fisheries professor and his daughter arrived at the same trailhead at 7.30am and began hiking up the same trail. At a point on the trail at nearly 6 miles after 3 hours of hiking, the daughter saw birds circling in the air above and then observed a daypack and water bottle containing pinkish liquid. She walked closer to these objects and suddenly saw parts of a human body. She saw both legs below the knees with boots on the trail and a portion of one arm nearby. The body was oriented at 90 degrees to the trail and most of it was covered with dirt and debris. Looking at the head, she noted the hair stood up on the back of his neck and that was obvious that the person was deceased. Fearing that there was a bear nearby, she and her father instantly turned around and hiked back down to the trailhead. Ten minutes down the trail, they met two men in their 20s and told them that there was a body ahead. The two hikers continued on after this warning, but apparently turned around later. At the trailhead, the father and his daughter noticed a green jeep parked there and went to the canyon backcountry office at 1.30pm to report the body. A helicopter dropped five rangers two miles west of the incident site and they began hiking east. About a mile west of the incident site, they found an adult grizzly tracks and those of one cub. At 6pm they encountered Wallace's body lying on his left hip and back partially buried in the manner consistent with the food caching behaviour of a bear. The body had been partially consumed. 12.5 metres to the southwest, the rangers found a large blood spot and a piece of boxer short next to the log Wallace had been sitting on sans backpack when he was surprised by his bear. To the west was a bloody trail in grass, and bloody footprints on logs apparently made by at least one departing bear and probably also a cub. Spookiest of all were the fact that Wallace's orange backpack, rain jacket, long sleeve shirt, and lunch container were all on top of his body, apparently placed there by the bear in part of his caching activity. Two water bottles, one empty and one three quarters full, were also found nearby. The lunch had not been consumed, indicating the attack occurred during the morning of August 25th. A hard rain with hail that afternoon had obliterated much of the bear's tracks around the trail and probably a lot of the DNA evidence as well. The rangers collected hair for DNA analysis from the body, from broken branches on logs and nearby, and from the soil in the cache pile. They collected saliva from bright wounds on the body and collected scat from five scat piles, later identified as grizzly scat. Over the next six weeks, the NPS set bear traps in 10 locations, making 25 captures of 13 individual bears for for examination and DNA analysis. Telling was the fact that DNA from two of the scat piles a few yards from Wallace's body matched that of the female bear and one of her cubs collected on July 6 from the death site of Brian Matayoshi. On September 28th, Rangers captured a bear that they called the Wapiti Sow and captured its cubs the next day. Its DNA not only matched that from the scat pile near John Wallace, but also matched hair stuck in Brian Matayoshi's sunglasses. Although the final report concluded that the Wipiti sow and one or both of her offspring probably fed on Wallace, the bear that actually killed him may not have been that sow, because at least four different grizzly bears were in the area of the body, and at least nine bears have been in the general area nor was there any clear evidence as to whether the bear attack was defensive in nature. On October 2nd, 2011, Rangers killed the 250-pound Wapiti sow based on three factors. 1. DNA confirmed that she and at least one of her cubs were present at Wallace's body. 2. She may have been the bear that attacked and killed Wallace. And 3. Members of this family group were very likely involved in consumption of the body. The reasons for the seven incidents are complicated and overlapping, insofar that we can never really completely understand the reasons for a bear attack. Yet concrete patterns do arise from these incidents. Three of them... Hansen, Walker, particularly Marioshi, and possibly Wallace, involved the bear being surprised, resulting in a sudden encounter. At least one involved getting too close and thus becoming a perceived threat to Sinski or possibly Wallace, and four were probably related to bear's condition to human foods – Welch, Hansen, Friedenhagen, and Walker. Causation in the Friedenhagen event is difficult to determine, however, it may be entailed to a habituated bear, certain odours, and travelling alone. The Walker event might potentially have been caused by a bear defending its food supply and the Welch and Walker bear attacks could have been responding to past injuries. Not only was there a surprise bear in the Matayoshi event, but there was also a bear defending her cubs. The Wallace event featured at least two of the big three threats as well as hiking alone. Now here we see the rationale for the National Park Service's advice for trekkers about creating noise, aka don't hike silently, never approaching bears or other animals near never hiking alone, and never feeding bears. Furthermore, when cubs or food sources are available, one must be extra cautious. The worst case scenario for a hiker in Yellowstone National Park who comes across a bear is that it's eating on a corpse and it has cubs. In this final scenario, they do not expect to see you back at the trailhead. The author ends the article on the bear attacks by asking, how does one avoid becoming the next fatal human death in bear country? And the answer is quite simple. It's by following all the regulations laid out by the experts. So that is it. That is the uh, Yellowstone National Park. My goodness, a long story there. Um, Quite a lot of information there. I really cannot recommend enough reading this book. It is fantastic. Um, We're going to take a break now and we're going to come back with the the day and two, you heard it, two new segments. All right. We might have some ads. I don't know let's just take a break. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us after our little break there. I hope you had a lovely time. Uh, We are now going on to our scratch of the day segment. Now, Now for those of who are just joining us who don't know what the scratch of the day is. This segment is where I find news stories related to animal-human conflict, animal attacks, uh, stuff like that. Um, and we read them together. I have not read the articles yet. I've only read the headlines. Uh, so let's just jump on into it. Our first article today is from the Hindu Times. So uh, yes, as always, be uh, you know prepared for me to miss. Pronounce a lot of fucking names. It always happens. So uh, the headline here says: "Animal attack on eight-year-old girl turns out to be a murder." That's pretty, uh, pretty tantalizing. It's a tantalizing headline. So, um, <clears throat> the death of an eight-year-old girl in a suspected animal attack in a village in Kalapua. See, I told you these pronunciations would k- be a killer. Turned out to be a murder. The accused has been identified as RJ Vijay Chavan, who is 18 years old. The incident took place on December 18 when Karagon uh, village uh, in Kambawadi of Kalapur, taluk, oh my god, had Gram Panchat elections and also a cricket tournament between various villages. The girl's father had set up a Vada Pav stall in the cricket ground. When he ran out of gram flour after a while, he asked his daughter to go and fetch some more flour from the home. The girl set out for home, but she did not return after the few hours. The family began searching for her. They, ev- they eventually found her body in a bushy area en route to their home. Initially, it was suspected that it could have been an animal attack, as it is a forested area. They sent the body to JJ Hospital, where a panel of five doctors con- conducted a post-mortem. They informed them that the death was by strangulation, confirming murder, murder a superintendent said. The area where the police... Sorry, the area where the body was found was not covered by CCTV. The team, consisting of 20 police chief inspectors from various police stations in Ragad and 100 staff, was informed to investigate the case. The, we believe the accused could be a local, since whoever killed her certainly knew this particular route. There was about 45 families that resided in the village, and we started doing background checks on each and every one of them and interrogating them. Then we started focusing on the people who said they saw the girl that day while she was going to the shop and zeroed in on the boy who saw her last. Uh, we The boy kept changing his statement and seemed to be scared during the interrogation he confessed was crime. The accused was a class Z... Oh, sorry. The, the accused was a class X dropout and stayed with his aunt in the village while his parents lived in Karadad in West Mah- Maharashtra. I know that one. The accused had been staying with his aunt since the COVID lockdown period and knew the girl. When the boy saw her going on ra- alone that day, uh, he tried to rape her. Fuck. When the boy shouted for help and told him, uh, sorry, when the girl shouted for help and told him that she would complain to her father, the accused strangled her and then smashed her face with a rock. The accused has been remanded in police custody till December thirty first. Well, that wasn't as fun as I thought it would be don't know what I was expecting. Um, it never anything good with these Indian websites with the, with the news articles. Uh, it's never great news. Um, but yeah, horrible, horrible story. Uh, was not an animal at all. Okay. The next story, parents spring into action, uh, as coyote and raccoon target children in two terrifying attacks. So this is by NBC. So hopefully no crazy pronunciations for me to mass mess up. Um, the raccoon, by the way, the raccoon video I saw on Twitter, uh, not on Twitter, on TikTok today, so you can find that one, it's still up there. Two terrifying animal attacks were caught on camera with children screaming for help after coming in contact with aggressive animals right outside the homes. In Los Angeles, a two-year-old girl was attacked by a coyote on December 2nd outside the fam's Woodland Hills home. "'I heard something screaming and crying, and I thought she fell down, and I saw the coyote there. said Ariel Elah, the toddler's father." Uh, the family doorbell camera filmed the attack as the coyote approached her and knocked her to the ground. In Connecticut, a raccoon t- attacked a five-year-old girl clinging onto the child before her mother rushed to help. Uh, oh, that's the, that's the entire article. Well, there you go. Not much uh, information there, but yeah, go, you can see those videos. They're both there. This is on NBC Bay Area. Uh, yeah, okay, our final scratch of the day. This is going real fast. This is a good one. Um, Hippo attacks a young boy and then spits him out. This is from NPR. Okay. Uh, first things first. The two-year-old boy who was attacked by a hippopotamus in Uganda was saved and had a full recovery, police say. I love when these articles tell me what's going to happen right at the beginning, because it's always sad, but this one's happy, and so we can end with a happy scratch of the day for once. Yay. Ah, They also say the hippo had the boy in its jaws, with the child's head and upper body in the animal's mouth, before a brave bystander rescued the boy. The attack took place around 3pm on December 4th when the boy was playing at his home near a lake in the KC district in western Uganda. The area includes several large national parks and game reserves, along with a series of lakes and safari lodges. The boy, Igar Paul, was saved after a bystander identified as Crispus Bagonza stoned the hippo and scared it, causing uh, it to release the victim from its mouth. This is the first such kind of incident the police said where a hippo left a nearby Lake Edward and attacked a child. The agency says the boy's family lives some 800 meters about half a mile from the lake. The hippo fled the scene after dropping the boy, who was quickly rushed to a local medical clinic for injuries to his hand. He was then moved to a hospital for additional treatment. He recovered fully and was discharged and is receiving a vaccine for rabies, police said. Ugandan authorities are reminding people in the area to be mindful of wild animals and to report any incursions in their neighbourhood. Instinctually, wild animals see humans as a threat and any interaction can cause them to act strangely or aggressively, the police said. The case has attracted wide attention setting off speculation over whether hippo the hippo might have been trying to swallow or eat the boy it's not it's it's worth noting that the hippo uh, is a herbivorous animal eating massive amounts of grass, but as the Uganda-based exclusive uh, African safaris website notes, scientists have confirmed that the animals can also eat meat, particularly if other food is scarce. Hippos are known to attack other animals and humans if they feel threatened or disturbed. Numerous outlets from National Geographic to the BBC site estimates that say fifty uh, hippos kill 500 people a year in incidents ranging from the animals charging and capsizing boats to direct attacks. There ability to tear apart most small animals including lions or crocodiles is why the hippo is actually the most dangerous wild animal in the African savannah, the exclusive African safaris website says. Well there you go, that story was a good one, uh, two duds, one good one I would say. Um, good for that guy as well, what, what a badass, we'll call him the Banff of the Day. Alright guys, we are moving on now to a new segment, Yahoo! So we are calling this new segment Beastly Biographies. So in this new segment, um, what I'm going to do is give you some biographical details about uh, specific man-eating animals. Um, because a lot of times I don't get the chance to do that. I get to tell you the story about what happened, but what's missing is the biological details uh, of these animals. So today, uh, another thing I was going to potentially call this segment was like, a man-eater mug shots and that made me think of the mugger crocodile and so we're doing the mugger crocodile um which you might not even know you may have never even heard of a mugger crocodile so we're going to talk about that today so here is our killer profile for the day the mugger crocodile the mugger also known as the marsh crocodile is a crocodile of medium to large size within the broader snout of all living members of the genus crocodilius it lives in the indian subcontinent as well as other countries in southern asia They are most alligator-like than almost any other crocodile, especially in their rounded snout, as most crocodiles have a snout that is pointier. Like most crocodilians, muggers feature a flat head where their eyes, ears, and nose are on top. This enables them to see, hear, and breathe above the water when their bodies are underwater. They have webbed feet, but they do not use them for swimming. Instead, they use their long, flat tail instead. Mugga is a corruption from an Indian word that means water monster. The mugger crocodile has a population size of around 5,700 to 8,700 worldwide. They live for approximately 20 to 40 years. Their top speed on land is 19 kilometers per hour. They can weigh up to 450 kilograms and uh, their length is about four to five meters. So they're located in India, as it was said in the little bio, Iran, Nepal, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka. Their diet... Muggers are primarily carnivorous, eating mostly fish, frogs, crustaceans, insects, mammals, birds, and sometimes monkeys and squirrels. They also can scavenge on dead animals. And the manita status. So the eater status is their potential for killing uh, humans. And I did a little bit of research. There is not much information. I think there is only two legends of uh, people being killed by uh, mugger crocodiles. There's no recorded deaths recently. So we're going to call this man-eater status low. It's not very low, it's just low. So we have very low, low, moderate, high, very high and extreme. Those are the man-eater statuses. This one is quite low. It can kill people and it probably has, uh, but it is not a frequent killer of men. So, fun facts. The anima- the animal's scientific name, Crocodilius Palur. palur- Pal, uh, pal-ustris, has the meaning crocodile of the marsh. This is aptly chosen since this species is very fond of the slow-moving waters that are typically found in marshy environments. In northern India, this crocodile is so social that it can often be found living alongside other crocodiles like the gharial. Gar- the The features of a mugger crocodile that define it as a crocodile include the fact that its top and bottom teeth overhang its closed mouth. The American alligator, in comparison, shows only its top teeth when the mouth is closed. The webbed feet of these crocodiles are not used to propel it through the water, but instead allow it to make sudden moves and fast turns and to initiate swimming. Webbed feet also assist the animal in shallower water where it sometimes walks around. The only animals that are known to prey on the mugger crocodile are other crocodiles and tigers. And finally, our last fun fact, the Mugger Crocodile has been documented using lures to hunt birds. This means they are among the first reptiles recorded to use tools. By balancing sticks and branches on their heads, they lure birds that are looking for nesting materials. This strategy is particularly effective during the nesting season. So there you go. That's our first beastly biography, the Mugger Crocodile. Again, a very, very, very brief overview of that animal. One day we may look into maybe some human deaths caused by the Mugger Crocodile, crocodile, but uh, for today, you're just going to have to make do with the beastly biography, okay? We're going to move on now to our final segment of the day. Uh, we're going to do some Manitas Trivia, okay? So uh, occasionally on the uh Instagram, I will ask a trivia question relating to previous episodes. And this year, what we're doing is we're putting the Man It is Trivia in the actual episode. So, if you want to answer this, uh, you can go through the Instagram or or in any other, you know, way of, of getting in touch with me. But basically, uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you a question each week, and the next week I will tell you what the answer is, and we will have fun. And it will be fun, and you will have fun. Does that sound good? You fuck? Okay. So, the Man it is Trivia question for today. It's quite a simple one, but I didn't get it, and I wonder if you will as well. Which of the following words means eating human flesh? A. Anthropomorphism. B. Anthropophagious. C. Anthropophilic. D. Anthropophobia. Anthropophobia. I can't say them, but if you do go to the Instagram, you can see how they're spelled as well. I'll read that out again. Which of the following means eating human flesh? Anthropomorphism. Anthropophagus from Profal Profalgus Anthropop Anthropophagit That sounded almost like a hate crime. Anthropophagus Anthropopolitic Anthropophobia Why did I have to pick such a difficult to pronounce fucking question for our first one? God damn it! Okay, you are going to get the answer to that one next week. If you want to um, jump on the Instagram, you can do that at Man Eaters Podcast uh, and you can do that there. Speaking of, let's do some plugs it is the end of our episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, As always, you can find me on all the social media links. They're in the... um they're in the bio, they're in the the caption of this episode. Again, thank you to everyone on the Patreon. Like I said, I was able to make a nice little recording nook. Hopefully you've noticed the difference. Um, The next step is to order a new microphone, which will be, I think I should be able to do in a couple months, unless more people join on. So if you are interested in uh, giving me a little bit of a cash, if you want to give the podcast a little bit of a cash injection, you can head on over to Man Eaters on uh, Patreon and uh, you can sign up for as little as $5 uh, a month. Um, You get access to some cool behind the scenes stuff. The more people we get, the more stuff I'll do on the Patreon, obviously. Uh, I would have loved to see you over there. Um, But of course... Only if you can afford it. Please do not feel the pressure. I do not want you spending money on me if you can't spend it on yourself first. Uh, yes, all the social media links. If you have any questions or any feedback, please send them the email addresses in the caption as well. Um, I would love it if you would send through ideas for stories or for um, you know, questions for beastly biographies as well. That would be a good one. If you want me to cover a specific animal, let me know. Um email me, you can get in touch with me on social media, any of that good stuff I'm here for for it. I would like to thank everyone who has sent through messages um, saying thank you or, you know, supporting the show in 2022, especially uh, in support of the best of 2022 episodes that we did for the last two weeks. That was lovely. Thank you so, so much. I hope you've enjoyed this first episode back of 2023. Particularly long episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, the analytics team seemed to tell me that you guys like the longer episodes because more and more people listen to them um, and the people keep listening all the way through them. So I really do appreciate that and i will keep doing it but it obviously means more work um so to make it worth my while if you could please uh share this with your friends share it on social media give it a re- give it a review something just any little thing will help uh, but it will help push it to new and more exciting people not more exciting people not that you're not exciting you're lovely i love you i'm in love with you i want i want you um what's happening right now i'm very tired i've been recording for two hours and i'm sweaty uh i hope you enjoyed the uh story of the uh yellowstone national park deaths if you are interested please check out death in yellowstone accidents and full hardness in the first national park by lee h Whittlesley. it is a fantastic book i'm actually now that this episode is finally done going to jump back into that book and read some of the other deaths that happened i'm particularly interested in the people who have um fallen into geysers and and disintegrated and melted that sounds Fucking awful but i'm very interested in, in uh, reading a little bit more about it so yeah definitely get that book have a have a little squeeze if you'd like to uh, that'll do it for today guys thank you so much for listening to man Eaters. we'll be back next episode with a brand new episode of man eaters uh have a fantastic week have a great new Year's celebration if you haven't finished celebrating already and uh, you know what as always my friends stay safe because as we've learned it's a jungle out there